now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Navy. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturdays, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right, please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, key plaintiffs in the Missouri and Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration testify before Congress with evidence saying that the White House and other government personnel perpetrated, quote, the largest speech censorship operation in recent history, unquote. If all that's true, isn't that tyranny? You know, when leaders disconnect themselves from the very laws they require the rest of us to follow? If aggregate government does that, and let's say this thing uh, somehow transcends all the normal checks and balances and reciprocal checks and balances that we have in place because a political party has gotten its ideology uh, gripping all three branches, and all three branches, they think they can transcend the the laws to which they're all subordinate. Well, then yes, that's what that's what we have. That's what we have tyranny. I'm afraid. Also, Karine Jean Pierre claims that banning AR-15s would stop mass shootings, despite said ban from 1994 to 2004 failing miserably, with even the DOJ then finding that, quote, the ban's effects on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurement, unquote. So why the denial? Why the constant insistence on making assertions that they cannot tether to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate? that they can never tether to a, a required foundational merit. It really gets tedious, all of us being continuously subjected to this level of sophistry. It's tedious. And these guys need to start watching their collective backsides. 
Because there is a remedy against tyranny, and it's constitutionally grounded. But I've already been into that ad nauseum. Anyway, in the meantime, let me go ahead and introduce old friend of the show, Janice Daniels, former mayor of Troy, Michigan. She's also a member of the John Birch Society and writer for The New American. Janice, good to have you on board. How are you today? Thank you so much, Alan. I'm, I'm doing great, and I, I loved your monologue. I would encourage your listeners to go to the Jews for the Preservation of Firearm Ownership website, that's jpfo.org, uh, and read the history of the millions and millions of people who were murdered as a result of their um, adherence to gun laws and uh, the confiscation of their gun ownership rights. So um, that would be one avenue of education. The other avenue of education, of course, would be to go to the New American Magazine because they have a whole host of brilliant writers and articles about this issue that we're confronting. I think that we're at a point in our history right now where the usurpers of good government would like the word freedom to mean bondage and the word restrict to mean restricting our freedom. And and that reminds me so much of 1984, the book by the socialist George Orwell, who actually detailed the great communist takeover plans. We all thought it was a, a great fantasy book, but it was, in fact, uh, premonition. It was a, a, a book of what was to come. And we are here today when we have such terrible so-called legislation as the Restrict Act, which stands for restricting the emergence of security threats that risk information and communications technology act, when in fact the true security threat is the people who write, sponsor, and vote for these kinds of unconstitutional so-called bills. No, it's true. Uh, They are um, essentially trying to alter language into a form that allows them to put forward falsehoods that are camouflaged as their own uh, actual antithesis. <laughs> it, is, it, is a, it is a tedious thing. Uh, speaking of which, um, we have, of course, a government with this proclivity for censorship, and fortunately it's a government that's apparently going to be disabused because this case is, uh, currently, that's currently facing them is very, very serious indeed, and it seems to have teeth. It, it, it really does. Uh, You may have heard the House Weaponization Committee investigating government censoring of Americans um, via big tech proxy. Um, These guys are going to be uh, giving testimony uh, about a case called Louisiana and Missouri v. Biden et al. Now, one of these witnesses, one of the plaintiffs, is former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who's uh, now, of course, that state's uh, recently elected senator. And he's going to be joined by current Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, as well as former Missouri Deputy General uh, for Special Litigation 1D, John Sauer. Now, their case was first filed in May of last year, and they've been enjoying court-approved depositions ever since. And most recently, uh, also had a federal judge grant them formal standing. So we're finally off to the races. And these guys call it, quote, the most important free speech lawsuit of this generation, unquote. And, you know, given the tonnage of already partly published testimony that they've secured from both resistant FBI agents as well as willing whistleblowers, perhaps that description is more accurate than not. What say you? Well, I have long um, lost any real hope for the men and women who 
say that these um, great lawsuits are going to do something effective. I mean, like, what have you done for me lately? Well, both uh, parties, if you have to talk about political parties, which I think is a, is a bad um, uh, start to begin with, um, both political parties allowed a coup d'etat to take place on November 3rd, 2020. So we are under a coup right now. And so all the kabuki theater that they are using to further distract, delay, deny, and denigrate the American people is of little import to me. I'll be glad when these clever wordsmiths who create these bazillion word tomes of tyranny actually take the time to read the 54-word Fourth Amendment in the Bill of Rights to the United States Constitution. That's where we get our freedoms secured. That's where well, that's where we, we get our secure. That's where we get our freedom secured, but only as long as the First Amendment remains alive. Let's be honest. The government that can censor you is the government that can oppress you, because <laughs> let's face it, the practice of the first means you and I cannot object to the second. So any of our other protections secured under the Bill of Rights don't mean a damn thing if we're not able to give voice in opposition to the government when it violates any of them. We've got to have the first secured. Otherwise, we're not permitted to address all the other things. And that's why the Second Amendment is so important, because the Second Amendment gives us leverage to protect the first, which subsequently allows us to, again, uh, bring forward opposition whenever the government uh, is tyrannical. Would you not agree with me? That if, if the government agree. if the government can censor you, it can oppress you because again, its practice of the first means you cannot object to the second. I believe that particular observation of mine is unimpregnable uh, in opposition. Where am I mistaken? No, I absolutely 100% agree with you, and it's up to men and women like you and me to continue what we're doing in advancing these ideals of the American Republic to the American people, because the problem is is that uh, the uh, communists had a hundred-year start over us, in fact, possibly even a hundred-and-forty-year start. This tyranny may have started before the ink dried on the Declaration of Independence, quite frankly, and we just weren't aware of it. But in the year 2023, we understand the tools that we need to use to take back America. Well, Thomas Jefferson warned us about this, too, and said, you know, how long can I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of you. But it basically says, you know, how long can a country hope to keep its liberties unless its leaders are reminded from time to time uh, that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. He was saying this in advocation of uh, what became the Second Amendment. Actually, Janice, if you can, hang on the line for just a bit, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stick with us. This message is provided by Beringer Engelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global
Global Fibroneer Program. To learn more about Fibroneer and eligibility requirements, visit fibroneer-ipf.longboat.com and fibroneer-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon-St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Well, again, key plaintiffs in the Missouri and Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration testified before Congress with evidence saying that the White House and other government personnel perpetrated, quote, the largest speech censorship operation in recent history. Folks, isn't that tyranny? Also, Corrine Jean-Pierre claims that banning AR-15s would stop mass shootings Despite that ban from 1994 to 2004 failing miserably, with even the DOJ then finding that, in their own words, quote, 
The ban's effects on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurement, unquote. Why the denial? Folks, you know, if you're going to take a proposed solution uh, out there, if you're going to express a proposed solution, what use is it unless it's linked to the cause of the problem in focus? If there's no linkage between your proposed solution for a problem and its cause, what the hell's being gained? And also, what is it about the language from the left, where the left apparently loves to use labels in lieu of arguments they can't otherwise satisfy? Assisting in the opining and analyzing is Janice Daniels, a former mayor of Troy, Michigan. She's a member of the John Birch Society and writer for The New American. Uh, Janice, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you again, Alan, for uh, bringing me back. Uh, during the last segment, you spoke about Thomas Jefferson, and I do believe that he was um, correct when he said that nullification is the rightful remedy to arrest the progress of evil. Uh, quite frankly, what is happening in our American government today is pure evil, and it is, it is up to the American people to resist tyranny and that is obedience to god and so i um well see this is propose. where you and i this is where you and i might differ in certain things but still ultimately find ourselves on the same side i mean i imagine there's a whole host of areas in which you and i disagree i'm a social progressive just to let you know uh and i'll agree with the conservatives in that i'm for a smaller government lower taxes originalist judges um i'm of course uh for originalist judges because i think the left are nuts when it comes to the living document theory you do that uh, then all of a sudden parts of the Constitution uh, are no longer protecting us simply because of the age of its text. I, I think that's silly. Uh, for instance, I'm also pro-choice, pro-gay rights, pro-gay marriage, pro-social safety, safety nets. Hell, I'm even pro-reparations for blacks. That's tethered to uh, being a part of the Tuskegee experiment and, of course, uh, Jim Crow, that stuff. But ultimately, you and I are on the same side when it comes to the right of free speech and being against tyranny. And when government disconnects itself from the very laws it requires the rest of us to follow, that's when it's committing tyranny. So you and I are allies in the primary uh, cause that's of greater importance because you and I, while we might disagree, we do embrace the concept of free speech, even for our political opponents. Uh, that's something the left doesn't do. The left says everybody who's not left is is a fascist. They constantly refer to conservatives as fascists. But fascists clearly do not acknowledge the free speech rights of their political opponents, while you and I do. So clearly, how the hell can we be the very thing that the left embodies. The left are the ones out there uh, against free speech in the name of fighting misinformation and disinformation. You know, through their strategy of shaming, woke zealots undermine the primary moral measure of our right to choose our own individual paths. How do they do this? By using these conjured secondary measures of allegedly higher morals in order to leverage the replacement of that primary measure, again, the one that allows us to choose our own individual paths. In other words, they say we have to relinquish our priorities in favor of theirs or we're bad people. And I don't believe that they fully appreciate what they're up against because when folks like you and I team up against them, that clearly means they're the ones outnumbered and eventually they are the ones who will be vanquished. Or do you believe I'm being overly sanguine about this? 
No, it's an interesting um, set of theories that you've presented to me. I would say that I'm a constitutionalist and a follower of Christ. So uh, from my perspective, God has already won this war. It is a battle between good and evil. It is a battle between freedom and communism. And the communists have had a running start on us in using the tools to be able to deceive the people. I believe that we have all been deceived. Uh, We are all created equal in the image of God, and so none of us have any uh, 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 you know, uh, what do you call that? Uh, um, we don't have any uh, control or any special um, connection to the truth. We all are uh, creators, uh, created creations of God. And so all well, we hold can it, Janice, do... Janice, I'm sure you'll agree yes. that I have, a special, I have a special understanding of truth, and it's only when your views coincide with mine that you're ever erudite in any way, shape, or form. I'm kidding around. I'm kidding around. Uh, nobody, nobody, nobody has an absolute uh, you know, monopoly on truth. But see, you and I might disagree on religion. For instance, I'm more along the lines of Thomas Jefferson, which you would refer to as deist. I believe in God, but through no particular religion. But you and I are both constitutionalists, which means that you and I agree on that founding document. We agree that the Constitution is the people's written directive to the very government it created, not the other way around. And we also believe that not one of these damn branches has the right to thwart the mandates of the very document from which their powers are derived, and let's face it, to which they're all subordinate. So you and I can disagree on a whole panoply of things, but because we concur on the Constitution as the primary document ruling this country... um, you and I can always coexist peacefully because we acknowledge each other's right to disagree, which is why I cannot stand the concept of people trying to validate censorship from the left by saying, oh, we have to stop misinformation and disinformation. Isn't it fair to say that every time people disagree with one another, they do so because each believes the other to be misinformed? But that's never been a justification for crushing free speech, has it, Janice? That is absolutely correct, and it is the fundamental principles of the American Republic that hold together this wonderful concept of you and I being opposed or on opposite sides of many, many issues, but coming together to live in freedom under the precepts of individual sovereignty. My freedom ends at your nose. Anything I say is 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 able to be put out in the world and either you disagree with me or you agree with me either people like what i say or they don't like what i say but i have every right in the world to say it and Voltaire, as he was attributed to the comment i may disagree with what you're saying but i'll fight to death you're right to say it. Exactly. That's why all arguments have to rise and fall on their merits. Otherwise, how else would you have the opportunity to learn that I am usually far more correct than you? (laughs) That's exactly right. And I feel exactly the same way. And and debate and dissent and disagreement has always been a healthy part of our American republic. And that is where we are at today, Alan, with discussions like we're having today. We are educating the American people on the truth about individual sovereignty that far surpasses collectivism, where some person named Claus Schwab is going to tell me how to live my life. It isn't going to happen. And no, no, no. So no. I, it's, I, it's, yeah, it, look, unless you have a country that recognizes 
uh, the sovereignty of its own individual citizens, then you have a country that is itself not deserving of any sovereignty. I've always believed the Cong- uh, uh, a country is only as legitimately sovereign as it recognizes the sovereignty of its individual citizens. Otherwise, you have a fake sovereignty. It's undeserved. If you're oppressing your people, you're not a sovereign country. You're, you're, you're a government pretending to be a sovereign country. You want to truly be sovereign? Make sure your citizens are as well, or you're just a bogus construct deserving of no respect on the international stage. Janice, thanks so much for joining us, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. IT departments at small and medium-sized enterprises face an overwhelming number of challenges, from blocking security risks to managing remote employees. The temptation is to acquire all the latest tools to defend against these challenges. Ultimately, all these solutions accumulate into a messy, overcomplicated, and expensive mess, a scenario known as IT sprawl. The solution, according to the open directory platform provider JumpCloud, lies in a process called IT unification. IT unification lets IT teams do more by maximizing existing investments and plugging gaps that lead to higher costs, overspending, and more work. JumpCloud Vice President Teresa Lawler. IT sprawl is all too common for today's admins and a critical, often complex challenge to tackle. Luckily, there are steps to combat the security and cost concerns of IT sprawl. You'll gain the benefit of higher TCO, security, visibility, and a simpler end-user experience. For more, visit jumpcloud.com. Spring is in the air, and now's the time to spring forward with a delicious breakfast from Burger King, an all-natural Simply Orange juice. Begin your day with a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant, or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit on a warm buttermilk biscuit. And make it a meal. All Burger King breakfast sandwiches go great with crispy hash browns and pair perfectly with a Simply Orange juice with no added sugar. Never sweetened, never concentrated, and never frozen simply orange goes perfectly with breakfast at burger king and is rich in vitamin c and now through march 31st on the bk app royal perks members get a free single croissant which with any simply orange juice purchase use code breakfast to redeem get a jump on spring with breakfast at burger king because you rule at participating u.s burger king restaurants royal perks account required restrictions apply see offer terms for details not valid on delivery orders sponsored by coca-cola Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? 
go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills, skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries, from healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Delighted you could be with us. Well, key plaintiffs in the Missouri and Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration testified before Congress with evidence saying that the White House and other government personnel perpetrated, quote, the largest speech censorship operation in recent history, unquote. Isn't that tyranny, everybody? Also, uh, KJP, otherwise known as Karine Jean-Pierre, claims banning AR-15s would stop mass shootings despite said ban from 1994 to 2004, failing miserably. I mean, even the DOJ then found that, quote, the ban's effects on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurement, unquote. Why the denial? That's just simply, folks, because of the fact that even then it was only a minuscule number of gun deaths that were ever attributable to uh, the so-called assault weapons, these AR-15s, AK-47s. Uh, it just wasn't the case. So it made sense that when you got rid of them, it wasn't going to have much of an impact. Now, technically speaking, there was a 17% drop uh, for a little while in uh, gun violence, but it started before the ban ever took place, and it continued after the ban disappeared. And, again, the number of uh, gun deaths attributable to these AR-15s and AK-47s uh, they themselves changed marginally, virtually not at all. In other words, had the law been passed or not, we still would have seen such a trend for other organic reasons. That's why the uh, DOJ came up with its findings. Anyway, let me shift gears a little bit, invite old friend of the show back. Uh, he is, of course, Chris uh, Shibolensky. He's vice president at Numbers USA. Good to have you back, Chris. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me back on. No, Good to have you. Good to have you. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was that uh, you know, a few days ago, in true sociopathic fashion, Biden uh, claimed that Republicans want to slash the budget for border security. And again, 
Isn't that as crazy as saying the Democrats want to outlaw abortions? I mean, what could be more <laughs> counterintuitive than that? I, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. I mean, he, th- this isn't just sophistry. This is sophistry doing a pole dance. I mean, especially uh, when, you know, you remember that uh, uh, you have uh, his, his head of DHS essentially wanting to maintain open borders. I'm, of course, talking about uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. I mean, he insists that the border is secured, but he can't tether that assertion to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate, can he? Right, yeah. And, and, and this gets right at the, the heart of the matter. There's two different approaches to, to dealing with the ongoing border crisis. And the Biden administration's approach is, you know what, let's just throw money down there. You know what will really fix the problem? Let's get as many Border Patrol agents and as many asylum officers as we possibly can down on the ground to help process these people in a more orderly manner, to help change diapers of the children that are being brought across the border illegally. Right. You know, and, and we can get array of this horrible optic of these mass numbers of people coming across the border illegally because we have the people on the ground to deal with all the people that are coming across the border illegally. Um, and the other approach would be, Let's prevent the people from coming in the first place. <laughs> Let's not let them into the country. And, and that's really what, what this whole budget issue gets at, is that I think there's more of an approach from the Freedom Caucus side on the GO side to let's address the root cause of why these people are coming and stop them from coming in the first place, whereas the Biden administration says, nope, all we need is to throw money at the problem so we can process these people faster and more efficiently. Well- you know, Biden administration is always saying, well, you know, if the Republicans would just go ahead and adopt my immigration, my comprehensive immigration plan, we could solve all these problems. I mean, since when has the enforcement of existing immigration laws ever been contingent upon the passage of new ones? Think about that. We've got right. plenty of laws already on the book. Since when has the enforcement of those laws ever been contingent upon the passage of new ones? I mean, are we really thick enough to be so easily duped by claims like this? I mean... Those who are really uh, in need of a wake-up call are, are, are self-evident, are they not? I mean, here's proof that we already have the law needed for Biden to fix the open border crisis. It's something known as Title Eight, Chapter 12, Subchapter 2, Section 1182, okay? And I don't want anybody's eyes rolling in the back of their sockets unless they're having a good time. <laughs> you know, unless you're having a good time, for obvious reasons, your eyes should not have to roll in the back of your sockets. So let me, let me clear the uh, suspense. Um, here's basically, basically the heading of, of President Biden and every, every president's already existing power. Suspension of entry or imposition of restrictions by the president. Here it is. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interest of the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. So he already has the the absolute uh, right and latitude. As a matter of fact, it is what I just read to you that served as the basis for why the Supreme Court originally gave thumbs up to Trump's Remain in Mexico program. You know, a lot of people uh, tried to sue him, say he couldn't do this, it was contrary to Congress, blah, blah, blah. And the Supreme Court said, hey, idiots, it's in the law. The president has the right 
to put forward this Remain in Mexico program, and it's derived from Title VIII, Chapter 12, Subchapter 2, Section 1182. So for this president to say that he first needs more legislation if we want to solve the problem at the border is provably fictional because he already possesses the power needed to suspend the hemorrhaging, does he not, sir? Right, right, he does. Not only does he have the authority, but the... That not only does the law give him that ability, but the law also requires that anybody who comes across the border illegally should be detained uh, until they have their day in court. And instead, what they're doing is they're putting him into what they call alternatives for detention. Uh, this is where they're giving him ankle bracelets where they can easily rip off. Or they simply just ask for, well, where are you going? Give us the name and address of the person you'll be staying with and we'll track you that way. Um, and and then and then the individuals end up disappearing. So alternatives to detention doesn't work. So they have they have this requirement under law, and the president's supposed to faithfully execute the laws of the country. The laws are right there; they're they're in black and white. Um, you don't and need any think, more for him to take advantage right. of the ones he already has to do the work right. that he already should be doing. It's already incumbent upon him to fulfill his promise, his oath of office, by executing the laws. Uh, because of the tools that are already given to him through leg- through the legislature uh, of decades past. Oh, I was heartened by uh, a recent development. You may remember earlier this month, the House Homeland Security Committee heard Biden's own Border Patrol chief, one Raul Ortiz, disagreeing openly with the administration's <laughs> claims about border security. Now, despite assurances from, uh, again, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, testifying that we have operational control of the border, and also having earlier testified that the border is, in fact, secured, which obviously it's not, their Border Patrol chief, again, this Raul Ortiz, he said just the opposite. So you got to wonder why the disconnect. Is it perhaps because of the five, six million illegal crossovers taking place since Biden took over? I mean, Ortiz testified that Biden's decision to stop the wall construction had also harmed security, and that other Biden policies were preempting agents from performing their duties. you got to wonder, how long should we keep putting up with this crap before we start swarming their offices with blood-curdling protests? I'm t- fed up with it, are you not? Oh, ab- absolutely. We've had, we've had more than a million gotaways since, since Biden took office, and how can you say that the border is oper- they have operational control of the border? The actual definition of operational control of border, which was defined in the Secure Offense Act in 2006, specifically said operational control means full awareness of everybody who's crossing the border, whether legally or illegally. We've got a million people who we know cross the border illegally. We couldn't apprehend them. That's not operational control. That's the opposite of operational control. And that's why you had that's why you had the di- the, the difference between of opinions between the Border Patrol chief and, and, and Secretary Mayorkas. Listen, again. The administration is focused on one thing, that the, the numbers don't bother them. They're not bothered by the fact that 125,000 people have crossed the border illegally every single month for the last 24 months. They're not bothered by it. They just want it to be a more orderly process so they don't get these bad images. What we really need is we need solutions that stop people from coming in the first place. And that's, you brought up Remain in Mexico. That's why Remain in Mexico is so effective, because once we told these folks, you come across the border illegally, we're sending you back in Mexico to wait for your court date, you don't get to stay in the United States and, 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 and get a work permit so you can hold any job here in the U.S. We're sending you back in Mexico to wait, 
people stopped coming because they didn't get what they were coming from, and that was to be able to live and work in the U.S. And what's also ticking people off is the inclination to just so uh, comfortably lie. I mean, they just, you know, right. knowingly communicate falsehoods. Uh, and it's just tedious. I mean, the same guy, Ortiz, fortunately, I was happy to hear this, he additionally <coughs> defended agents who had been falsely accused by the Biden administration for having whipped Haitian migrants on horseback back in 2021. Right. Mayorkas was informed that the opposite was true by the photojournalist who had taken the pictures of the alleged incident. He knew it, but Mayorkas held a press conference still making the claim nonetheless. And you got to wonder, are these crap stains trying to trigger a blood-soaked revolt against their own rebellion against us? Because it sure as hell looks like it, doesn't it? Anyway, as usual, never enough time. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager, JumpCloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud-based options aren't ideal either. JumpCloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end-to-end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud-based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. 
My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Republicans in Congress need to show some courage. And if they had courage, they would be introducing legislation on assault ban- uh, uh, on banning assault weapons today. That's what they would be doing today. And we know, and Steve and I know, because we've had this conversation back and forth about assault, ban- assault weapons ban, that has, when, when there was one, what is legislation that turned into law that the president uh, uh, led on 30 years ago, we know that it saved lives. We know that to be a fact. But yet they refuse. They refuse to move forward. And yet guns, as we know, is the leading cause that is killing our kids. And they refuse. They refuse to show some courage and do anything about it. And that's shameful. Uh, That was a Kareem Jean-Pierre disconnecting herself from the truth, showing herself to have all the veracity of Pinocchio on crack uh, I mean, it's amazing what this lady gets away with saying. Uh, again, of course, uh, White House Press Secretary Jean, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre saying if Republicans had courage, that presupposes that um, unless Republicans go along with what the Democrats want, they're not showing courage. But if they had courage, then they would ban assault weapons. She says uh, the last time they were banned uh, saved lives, and Joe Biden led the uh, demand for that ban. Uh, a few things to unpack here. First of all, she's wrong on the facts. Uh, grotesquely so. Um, you know, she's claiming that banning AR-15s would stop mass shootings like what happened in Nashville, despite the fact that the ban from 1994 to 2004 failed miserably. Okay, it did. It failed miserably. And we know that it failed miserably because um, after the ban was finished, 
the DOJ found that the drop in gun violence was, quote, too small for reliable measurement. The DOJ's report went on to describe the nominal reduction that did occur as one that could have been ascribable to any other vague organic happening because it wound up continuing another five years after the ban ended. And it, by the way, began declining before the ban ever was put in place. So what do we make of the administration's push for that which has already failed? I mean, again, is it fair to say that unless the proposed solution to a problem can be credibly linked to its cause, it's then just a solution in name only? And they're talking about how the kids, you know, the biggest killer of kids is guns. It's just not the case. If you look at children, how about just everybody below the age of 18? From looking at 0 to 17, the number of firearm-related deaths for kids was 2,281 in the year 2020. However, the number of motor vehicle accidents, people killed by cars and trucks for that same age group, was 2,503. So killed by guns, 2,281. Killed by vehicles, 2,503. But what happens is they do a bit of trickery. They expand the age group. They include ages 18 and 19. Those aren't children. Those are adults. But they include those two years. And by, yeah, you include two more years, yeah, you're going to get that becoming the biggest sounding number. But it's a false construct. Words have meaning, and if you're going to use these words, what you say must have something to do with what they mean. Unless language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it, what the F else are we doing in this, in this universe talking about anything? Words have meaning. You don't get to alter the meaning of a word in order to prop up an argument you otherwise can't satisfy. But that's what they're doing. So looking at the actual bracket of people who are children, technically speaking... Guns are not what are taking them out. And what's most assuredly the case is firearms like AR-15s and AK-47s, those constitute the deaths of kids in the hundreds. That's still too many. But that doesn't validate making assertions that are otherwise provably false. So any death is too many. But the reality is when you look at uh, the deaths of children caused by AK-47s and AR-15s, those are in the hundreds. And when you look at firearms in total, it still doesn't constitute the greatest cause of deaths in children. It's up there, but it's not the greatest amount. So why lie? I mean, the facts as they are are already pretty dramatic, but why lie? Especially when you take into consideration that guns, in a very provable way, save more lives than they take away. I'm not kidding. It's it's very provable. The Department of Justice has a yearly national crime victimization survey. And year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out, it consistently reports that folks save themselves from robbery, rape, and murder through the mere brandishing of a firearm about 100,000 times a year compared to the 33,000 lives lost to guns, with a third of them, by the way, being suicides. So that being case, that being the case, doesn't math 
arithmetic doesn't math then clearly show that guns save more lives than they remove? This is this is this is something we can't play with. This is something we cannot play with. But we do nonetheless. And I'm tired of it. I'm just so bloody tired of it. But this is what you get from the woke. Now, thankfully, the the woke will be eventually put to sleep because their inverted burden of proof structure in all arguments is really unsustainable. I mean, there's, there's a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what are merely just other assertions with only shaming tactics used as the validation when you think about it. I mean, most of us eventually catch on to the differences between a genuine premise and the pretext pretending to be one. But through their strategy of shaming, woke zealots undermine the primary moral measure of our right to choose our own individual paths by using these conjured secondary measures of allegedly higher morals in order to leverage the replacement of that primary moral measure. In other words, We've got to relinquish our priorities in favor of theirs, or we're bad people. We're not showing courage. I mean, by such a manipulative, inverted, burden-of-proof formula, when you think about it, these authoritarians can always find a way to remove our free will. But only if we let them, everybody. And, you know, we were warned about this in Aesop's Fables. A tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. And likewise, an authoritarian will always find a pretext for his, her, or their authoritarianism. Anyway, as usual, never enough time. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.